Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jinky to the Max, a podcast where we talk to inspiring creators about their amazing projects they build. Today on the show, we will be talking about a house that is 100% off the grid. Uh, really fascinating. But first, let's get into some housekeeping. Every episode, we broadcast live in the Jinky DIY Discord server. If you're not already part of it, follow the link in the show notes below. Uh, it's a fantastic place. You can talk to the people on, that we have on here. Uh, you can learn stuff. It's, it's a pretty great place. Um, but without any further ado, uh, hello there, Glavin. Glad you could be on the show. Well, thank you, Jay, for having me. Glad to be here. So let's start off. Uh, describe your setup to us. Uh, what does it look like? What are the requirements? Uh, so... Yeah, I have a small cabin. It's not a tiny house, but you know it's, it's definitely uh, a little bit larger than that. <laughs> but small cabin uh, out in the w- wilderness of Ohio. I bought 20 acres back in 2014, I think, and then I moved out here. I bought this cabin. Got moved out here in 2015, and uh, went to go hook up electric and the utility grid said that it's going to cost, you know, an arm and a leg, and so I walked the fellow back to his truck, and I said, no, I'll do something my own, do something myself. So I went to a local solar company, and talked with them about some, kind of what I was wanting to do, and uh, bought some equipment from them, and just told me, yeah, just tossing that green truck out there in the parking lot. They're like, excuse me, sir, you didn't want us to install that? No, nah, no, nah, I got this. You know, I didn't tell him I was an electronics <laughs> engineer or anything. So, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of got this thing designed where, uh, the core of the system is overbuilt, so it's made to be able to be expandable. Um, mm-hmm. and then I, you know, I did all the, the entire installation here myself. Uh, I started with just like two solar panels and two batteries. Uh, the batteries I've been using are the, are 12 volt 8Ds. They're, these giant 200-pound batteries, um, about three kilowatts each. So wow. they're pretty big. Because I didn't know what my power usage was going to be like, you know, because I've, right, right. I've never lived off the grid before. So, <laughs> so this was kind of an experiment. In this time that you were, you were building this, were you like, were you just like lighting candles and I don't know? <laughs> no, I ran LED lights. Uh, LED lights use practically just such little energy, you can easily run them right. for a long, long period of time. Um, but you know, I didn't have anything like, I didn't have like a fridge or anything extraneous. Um, is mainly just lights and, you know, being able to run my laptop and my desktop for a few minutes each day. Uh, oh, wow. but then I found, you know, it really wasn't enough. So I just, you know, kept expanding the system and I'd, Got more solar panels, got more batteries, and until eventually I'm up to where I'm at now, where I'm at 28 solar panels, which gives me a 7 kilowatt solar array, and 12 of the 8D batteries, which gives me 43,000 watt hours of uh, kilowatt hours of battery backup. Wow, that that that's really cool. What what? So you mentioned these uh, D batteries. Uh, what, like, what are they? What's their like what's, they aren't lying on. Are they, they are. Lead acid? They're lead acid. They're not flood lead acid. They are 
what's called an AGM, which is absorbed glass material. So it's not like there's actual like glass like a window. It's more like fiberglass. So it kind of looks like cardboard with a bunch of fibrous material in it. If you ever opened okay. one up and saw what's inside, uh, and it's that's that's used as the uh, the dielectric inside the battery to, or not the dielectric, but the electro the electrolyte solution is stored in that uh, right, material right. in the battery between the plates, and uh, they look kind of like uh, batteries you'd see in a semi truck or a large tractor. Okay, they're about the size of of if you took three normal car batteries and super glued them together uh the long side the long oh, wow. side it, they're that's the size of one of these that's that is big they are big <laughs> wow <laughs> that wow so like what were some of the what were some of the adjustments you had to make from going from an on the grid system to off the grid um the big thing was understanding like my energy usage and having to use re- rely on propane for any of my heating usage or heating needs. So my oven is propane. Uh my furnace is also propane and so is my dryer and instant hot water heater. So all the really big like appliances that all runs off of gas. Correct. Okay. Wow. Is that just because it draws so much power? Yeah. So with a with a battery bank, you you know you, there's a lot of peak demand, which also would put a lot of load on my inverter that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to run a lot of things at once, even if it's just for a short, brief amount of time, it just requires a lot of startup. So mm. having a having it be propane instead, propane, you know. It doesn't really care as much because it's a flame, right? So it's a lot easier, and it really doesn't cost all that too much for having uh, these things be propane powered. Like my right. instant hot water heater, I think it goes through maybe twenty pounds of propane every like five months or so. Like it, it really doesn't use a oh. lot. Yeah, that's that's really good. Oh yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't want to. Pl- plug in the the stove and then all the lights, everything just dims and just like a, a soft glow coming from it. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that, that's and that's really cool. Have you? Uh, I know uh, in the states there there can be a lot of like regulations and laws around like solar power. Since you built this for, essentially from a non-powered system, did you have to deal with any of that? No, because I'm not tied to the grid. As long as you're not tied mm-hmm. to the electrical grid, you really, you can get away with a lot more, because it's it's all things that are you know just going to affect you and no one else. Right. Right. De- definitely. Uh, when you were building this, did you have any like useful resources that you found were super helpful? Like, did you just <laughs> trial and error it? Um. Well, I already. I went to school for electronics engineering, so I already had a pretty good basic understanding of, you know, electricity and how it works. I've been working on the, the field for quite a long time. Solar had always been something I'd been interested in. I actually had even built my own charge controller uh, way back in the day, um, just for the fun of it. <laughs> but I never really got into solar too 
much back then because it was still cost prohibitive. It's just really mm-hmm. expensive. But, you know, in recent years, the cost of solar has come down, like, tremendously, probably about a third of what it used to be in the, 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the efficiency has gone up uh, by leaps and bounds as well. So that kind of made it a lot more uh, attractive in going that route. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I was talking to someone from Australia uh, a while ago who's, who was building something similar, and uh, yeah, it's just the, the optimizations that are going on and the, the, the efficiencies, it's, it's really mind-blowing. I can't wait to see where it, where, where it goes from, from here. Well, it's definitely increasing. I, I work at a solar company, actually the one I bought my system from, they end up I took the, some pictures of my work and took a little bit of video and went in that next week and showed them, hey, guys, let's check it out. Everything's working. And they're like, oh, you actually know what you're doing. Would you like a job <laughs> with us? That's amazing. <laughs> so, so, so I ended up working with them, and it's been just a fantastic adventure. Great people to work with, a lot of like-minded people um, that love for you know solar and renewable energy. Uh, yeah. So kind yeah, of this... seeing every step of the way as solar tech evolves, which is really cool because it's definitely increased by probably about 25% from when I got my system five years ago. Oh, wow. Just the amount of efficiency on the same size panel. It's pretty ridiculous. It's awesome. Yeah, it's like the ultimate green way because you not only do you have to, um, you know, not connected to the grid, so you're drawing resources, but also you have to be very conscious in what power you do use. And it, I mean, yes. like it's just so, it's so easy to not, like I, I keep my PC on overnight because, you know, it's cheap and, you know, it's not really, you know, <laughs> it's more work for me to go out, boot it back up than just leave it on overnight. And if you have a, uh, an on the, off the grid system, then you have to really be thinking about those power decisions. Very true. That kind of was a big eye-opener when I got this, because it has a computer system that's built into the inverter that tells you what your usage is like, the remaining battery charge, and all that sort of thing. And so I can see in real time what my energy usage is like. Um, so it's it's been a lot of... Uh, I've learned a lot just by kind of watching that and kind of seeing what what ends up using a lot of power, what doesn't, how long can I run for... Uh, I get a lot of questions, people asking how long I can run my system for, and it's kind of a a tricky answer, just because it just depends on how you're using your electric, and if you're actually reactively you can changing your uh, consumption based on your state of charge and what the weather's going to be like in the next few days. So typically I can run about three days of autonomy if I'm not really being energy conscious at all, but I can stretch that out to probably about two weeks if I really try. Okay. And when I, I assume that when you say you run out of power, you just fire up the generator? Yes. Yeah, I got a gen- standby, or not a standby generator, but I got a portable generator that I can plug in through a, a plug outside, and I can charge up the battery bank just to kind of top it off. I don't want to run it too low. That way I can uh, keep my batteries in a good help, that good healthy uh, charge range so they can get the longest longevity. Right. Right, and that's also, I bet, another problem uh, in a um, colder environment um, is that 
Well, I guess you're using lead acid. So I guess the freezing temperature for lead acid is different than lithium ion, right? Correct. So lead acids can handle a lot lower temperatures and still operate fine. Um, lithium ions do not like to be frozen. So if mm -hmm. they get below freezing temperatures, you can discharge them, but you can't charge them without risking damaging them. Um, but I do have my batteries that are in the house, so that way they're in an air-conditioned environment, so that way they operate closer to the, about that 70-degree temperature that most batteries like to run at, so they stay mm -hmm. pretty happy all winter long. I, I love how batteries, like, you think of them as just, like, like air, you know, it's just, it's just something that's a part of life. You don't even think about it. But when you started learning and digging deep about batteries, <laughs> you realize they're so temperamental, you know? Yes, it's they like are. A... <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. I like to be in a 70 degree environment and please don't discharge me too fast or I'm going to get cranky. Yeah. No, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're very touchy in that way. They kind of are. <laughs> it's, so I just saw, saw the Sergeant uh, Warhammer in the chat uh, ha has two questions for you. First one is, uh, can you explain how net metering works for private and commercial users? And the yeah. second is, what is the total cost of the project? How long is it going to take before you earn it back? So with a normal house getting solar, you're going to do what's called net zero metering. So you won't have batteries. You're just going to have a solar array and an inverter that is grid interactive. That's what 99.9% .9 of solar installs are. So basically how it works is you use the... It, during the day, you're generating power. You use that energy first in your local uh, home or business. And then any excess gets sent out to the grid. And that's recorded in the utility meter. Uh, and you basically use the utility as your battery. So you sell power during the day for, uh, say, you know, 10 cents a kilowatt, and then you buy it back at night for 10 cents a kilowatt. Or it might be different in your, in your municipality. It may change from, you know, place to place what their regulations are. But typically you do, uh, here at least in Ohio, you get a one to one credit for your energy usage that you send to the grid and then consume back. Um, so that's mainly how that works. So if, if the grid goes down, you can't, you know, Obviously, you can't run off your solar system because it has no grid to be able to, uh, to be able to export or interact with. And it needs to be uh, able to not send power back onto those electrical lines and accidentally shock anyone that may be working on the utility lines. So it's, okay, so if, if, when the power goes out, you aren't just getting the, the solar power. It's not coming directly into your box. It's going to Correct. the power company and the power, okay. Makes sense. Yeah, so you're never so, able to run your solar system, uh, a grid-tied solar system, off-grid. Unless yeah. you have a special setup to where it can actually have a small microgrid to run off, because it, it does need batteries to be able to operate if, in that case. Right. And a way to disconnect, safely disconnect from the utility side uh, of your power that's coming into your house. Right, okay. Interesting. That, that's good. That's good enough. A good question. Um, then the second thing is, uh, how long do you think? How much should it cost, and how long do you think it's going to take before you earn it back? So for a regular homeowner, the normal payback is about twelve, about twelve years. I would say is a good, good estimate. 
Um, it just depends on how big of a system you have and how much shaving that the system ends up getting, which inhibits its ability to produce electricity. Um, and then, you know, angles to the sun also influence that as well. So from, but for my system though, because it was going to cost so much just to get electrical lines run to my house, the system almost paid for itself right away just because of installation costs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wow. <laughs> yeah. That, wow. That's that. Wow. That that that's impressive. So so my system is basically it's already paid for itself and it's it's good to go. <laughs> I bet that puts uh, in, having internet off the table at least for a, a few more decades. <laughs> no, I I have internet here. Um. Well, like like a like a line internet because I guess I take it you use satellite or no or actually I have DSL that's a funny thing DSL didn't what? charge me anything to put a line out to my house. There's like okay what? we'll just trench this bad boy and just got a little ditch witch and just trench the line all the way to the house put the line in good to go electric <laughs> company nope. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but the payload I mean I guess the payload would be bigger for a power company, but. Right? <laughs> I don't, it doesn't make sense, but that's what they did. <laughs> oh, wow, so if you have DSL, you don't have... Uh... Okay, I guess, yeah. I guess, I guess it's, that's not bad. Right. It's better than better than uh, having satellite or something. It's a lot cheaper, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a friend who lives in the, lived in the country, and in order for them to get internet, he had to, their parents stuck a phone, like, right on the windowsill, which was, like, just enough to get, like, internet from the, from the tower, and then they hot-spotted it to everyone else. They totally <laughs> have, like, four people on the, the, on the, on the internet <laughs> at the same time. Through a cell phone. Uh, oh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> or should I say, that's janky. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes, very, very janky. So, uh, tell us about, um, I'm, I'm kind of curious. So, like, what type of inverter do you have? Like, so, my entire system is a Magnum energy system. Uh, so I have the 4448 MagnaSign inverter, which is a 4400 watt inverter that runs on 48 volts DC. And it puts out 120 and 240. So that way I can run uh, 240 volt appliances like my air conditioning system, which is a Mitsubishi mini split. Super efficient, low, uh, it has a soft start technology built into it. So it doesn't use a huge surge of power when it kicks on. And it runs really nice on the system because it uses very low energy. How efficient is it? Like, uh, it's not efficient. How? How much energy does it consume? Well, that, but also how effective is it? Like, it, sometimes it's, you get these green things that are green because they don't work. Well, this one here is, they work really well. And this one here is actually oversized for my living space. So it heats and cools really quick, which is really nice uh, when I really need it to kick on and do hard work. Uh, but under normal circumstances, you know, just having it on, the air conditioning doesn't use much power at all. During the summer from dusk or from dawn to dusk, uh, over the course of the night, it uses maybe about 
two kilowatts of energy over the entire night. Really, not a lot. Oh, yeah, that's. And then during the spring and fall, I also use it for heating as well as cooling, and it uses significantly more to try and heat air than it does to cool air. Um, It uses about ten percent. About ten percent of my battery over the course of the night. Okay. So about almost five, almost five kilowatts just itself. Okay. That's cool. Maybe Um, a little bit more if it gets really, really cold. And did you wire the entire house yourself? Yes. So when I got this thing, it was I bought it as a shell. And then now I could just finish the inside myself. That saves a whole lot on cost. Uh, so I've run electrical lines all over the place, especially, I mean, for the solar system, having to run all the lines over to the solar panels and wiring up a 100 amp service box in my house to be able to run all my loads on. Cause otherwise it was, there was really nothing in here except for a simple 100 amp dis, maybe a 70 amp disconnect. I don't even think it was a 100 amp. Um, where the previous person that had this, uh, basically they were trying to do the tiny tiny home living as well. She did it for about four months, bought this thing brand new, lived in it for about four months, realized she hated it, and decided to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so I wow. jumped on that and got it for dirt cheap. It was awesome. That's yeah, I, I feel like if, if you're going to go 100% off the grid, you, you kind of have to, to have a setup like that. Yeah, just really just having the love for wanting to to go for the lifestyle change, because it is such a change from living in an apartment or in a conventional house. Oh, yeah. But it's, it gives you I, I bet, a huge sense of freedom. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I Yeah, I remember I, I some friends or some friends... Uh, um, are kind of into that that movement, and the thing is, is that like it's all they make it seem super glamorous and like I don't know hip, but but if you think about it, it's like you you have what like a few feet of living space. I mean I don't know. I mean if you can make it work, go for it. I it, I think that would drive you nuts. <laughs> the tiny houses would be a little bit too small for me. Like I I think that definitely I would agree. It would drive me nuts just having like you know five feet of living space. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but this one that's why I want a small cabin instead. It's mm-hmm. uh twelve by twenty six and it's got a loft in it as well. It's a whole two floors. So I got about oh, nice. seven hundred you know square feet of living space in this thing. That's like a what was it a little bit bigger than like a studio apartment. Uh, about that, yeah, about that size. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And uh, so, let's, let's switch gears. Uh, I remember you talking about um, seeing pictures and posts about your uh, benchtop power supply. Yes. So, so uh, explain to us a little bit how that works. So, a test bench power supply is a small unit that basically will take in a traditional unit takes in AC from your wall outlet and allows you to produce DC 
uh, at a set voltage and current that you specify on the unit. So it's adjustable. It's mainly used, it's basically just an adjustable power supply that's used for testing, usually testing uh, other electronics that don't have their own power supplies yet. Or if you're just wanting to test to see, you know, hey, is this motor still good? And you can, you know, hook it up directly to it and see that it spins. Um, things like that. Okay. And uh, tell, us, tell us about your build. So with my build, I wanted to do something that was super versatile over just the standard test bench power supply, because sometimes I need something that's portable and I can take places. So I ended up building one that can use AC or DC. It can use... Oh, wow. Yeah. So it can use 110 or 240 volt AC, or you can use uh, between, I think it's 6 and 55 volts of DC on the inputs. And then oh. it lets you put out DC that also is using an XT60 connector or traditional banana plugs. Wow, oh, that is that is so versatile. Oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> I have so, one of them that actually runs on batteries that is completely portable and I can use for testing small electronics where there is no power supply I want to be able to hook up to it. That is so useful. I cannot tell you the crazy uh, gymnastics I've, I've done <laughs> trying to test. Like, the the dumbest thing, you know? Uh, <laughs> it reminds me kind of like, uh, before, I, before I got a multimeter, I would, uh, oh, I have a potentiometer, I had like this potentiometer set up uh-huh. where I would see, like, I, I, I would use the potentiometer to, to like, see if the... Um, if the component worked or not, it, it was it was it was really janky. <laughs> so, for the the benchtop power supply, you said it can take both DC and AC. Is yes. the DC just for the battery heat? Like, if you put a battery pack in it, you can portable, or is uh, you can run on? Or, or, it does both. So you can run directly off the DC, or you can use it. Uh, there's another. I have switches on there to where you can turn on a charging circuit. And it will, while you're using it, it will also charge up the battery bank inside as well. Right. Okay. And then wow. it has just a switch yeah. on the back so you can select if you're going to run on AC or if you're going to run on DC. Okay. Right. Have you seen anything like this? Like, it, with the features you described, is there a version that's, like, commercially available? Because, like, you, I mean, I guess I haven't uh, researched benchtop power supplies much. But it sounds like... Uh, like, it's a pretty unique setup you got there. I think it's more of a niche thing. Most people, they're just going to hook it up to an AC outlet, and that's how it's been ever since I've been in the electronics industry. <laughs> so this, I've not really seen anything quite like this, and like commercial, commercially available. Wow. And to tell us about the, the casing, because I found that was really interesting. So the case I use for these, I use just a, a simple field box or ammo box um, from Amazon. It's just a cheap little thing, but it's... Excuse me, you mean you meant to say Amazon? Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> sorry, sorry, okay, good. <laughs> so, so the big thing, I need, the big struggle I had was I needed to find something that was going to be standardized. I knew anyone could get this thing to be able, so I want people to, be able to build this thing as well. So something that's 
cheap, affordable, and standardized. So ammo boxes are like six bucks a piece, maybe. They're water resistant, they're rugged, and durable. Um, easy to modify, and I don't think the shape of them is going to change anytime in the near future. So that way people can be able to go online and get the same kind of case that's going to be a secure housing for their project. That yeah, that's very smart. Uh, how how much is the like the components and everything? How, how much does that cost? So for to build one of these uh, power supplies, it cost me about a hundred dollars. Which, if you look at comparable power supplies online, they range start around I think sixty dollars for a decent one, and then they go up to like three hundred bucks or more, depending on what features you're wanting in the thing. So the nice thing about this one is it is programmable and does CCCV charging, which is I really convenient. That so CCCV charging is how you charge up uh, batteries. So the cool thing with this is instead of just testing parts, you can also use it as a battery charger. Oh, oh right, because, oh, that's... Right, so CC is constant current and CV is constant voltage. And it'll automatically switch between the two uh, depending on what your your settings are that you programmed into it. I, th I think a better question is, what can't this do? <laughs> <laughs> well, it... <laughs> let's see, what can't it do? It can't power up the Death Star yet. <laughs> yeah, that's the keyboard, ladies and gentlemen. Yet. <laughs> Maybe you should talk to uh, MechaWorks. Maybe it can power his uh, his mech. <laughs> that's actually what I was talking with him a little bit today about what his power usage is like. Because <laughs> what, what is it? Actually, you know what? You know what? I'll have to have him on the show. There Don't you go. Spoil anything? <laughs> no spoilers. Suffice <laughs> to say, uh, yeah, we we have someone who's uh, building a an actual mech, which is just it it it. Yeah, enough said. Right. <laughs> so, so how, where are the dimensions of this? Like, how big? How how big is it? Well, it's, um, it's the size of an ammo box. Right? It's just a standard small ammo box that you'd put like maybe ten boxes of ammunition in. Actually, hang on. I'll just go grab one real quick. All right. I'm sitting back down. So this thing here is 12 inches by 5 put inches by 7 inches. Put the ammo box next to the mic so we can all hear it. <laughs> Sorry. There you go. It's sit on the desk. <laughs> but yeah, they're super rugged, and I love these little things. They're fantastic for putting projects in, especially something that if you're going to take outside, because it has a seal, so it kind of helps to keep water and stuff out of the the box. Wow, and they're so cheap too. What, six bucks? Yeah, six bucks. I mean, I, I have paid more for much more garbage storage <laughs> systems than that. Like, I, 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 I think I want to I look one up after this. <laughs> yeah, I can throw a so link in the chat. Anything from the episode, people. Look up ammo boxes, buy them, use them. Yeah, they're fantastic form factors for putting a lot of projects into. I bet. I wonder if you could put, like, a, a micro PC in it. Hey, that'd be a cool thing for uh, Jack to take a look into. 
Yes, I bet this would be perfect for his uh, 8-bit computer. Oh, yeah. And he and they come in different sizes, too. So these are the smallest ones I could find, but there's also larger ones. I have a couple of those as well. So that could work for, you know, if you have, like, a larger project, like a computer to put into it, you could easily do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's... That, that is so cool. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And the cool thing with all these projects that I build is I standard... I've set out to standardize everything that I do so that every project I make is completely compatible with every other project that I make. So, for example, all my connectors, I use XT60 connectors on everything. So that way, oh. you can easily just plug things from one to the other using an, uh, an XT60 con uh, extension cord. So that way there's no exposed connectors or wires when everything's hooked up. I, I think I think that's that's something that I think we, we we should all take away from this is being intentional about your own like DIY system and making sure you know you standardize you you should follow convention even if it's just your convention because it's gonna save you so much so much stress and oh for sure <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> It's kind of one of those standard things that I see a lot of people using in the DIY community is the XT60 connectors. Um, one of the big things that really got me into this was Jehu Garcia. He's got, he's a YouTuber that likes to build things out of 18650 cells, uh, and has a DIY electric vehicle that he made. Uh, and I just found that super inspiring and so when I got into looking at doing this sort of thing, kind of learning from his mistakes that he's made, what things he's learned, and uh, also from my experience in the electronics industry is really making sure everything's compatible with one another. Right. Yeah, I, I, th I think he, he also got me... I, I watched some of his videos, and he uh, uh, he inspired me to, to build a, a very tiny solar power. So it was just like one panel and a small battery pack. But yeah. Nice. You guys should totally check it out. Well, unless you, unless, you should check it out unless you don't want to build a solar panel and battery pack because I feel like it, it's just a must. You know, once you watch his videos and you, you see him talk about it, yeah, you're, you're, there, there's no way you're not going to have a, a solar panel set up by the end of the month. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. You're, you're going to buy a solar panel. <laughs> Hey, you can come down to my shop. I got. We'll sell you all kinds of them. <laughs> we'll install them on the house for you, even. <laughs> uh, did you? How far does it go? Do will, will you guys travel down to Australia or Germany? <laughs> Maybe not that far. <laughs> we install all over Ohio and the surrounding states, except for West Virginia. They 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 like their coal too much. They won't sell us a license. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, they're just wow. That's 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 really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, if you're in the Midwest area, right? Oh yeah, Ohio, that area. I'll probably put. I'll see if I can get a link or something. Put it in there. Uh, oh, one thing I saw on his channel that I thought was just so cool, but I, I don't think I could really find them anywhere else. But the solar panels that you roll up. Oh yeah, the flexible solar panels. Yeah, like, are the are those re like? It made me think: Are those really a thing? 
And, like, how efficient are they? They are, but I think the issue is they're more expensive because they are flexible, and they're not as efficient either. So we don't use those in a commercial setting, or mm-hmm. we really don't use those at all. Um, the only time you really see those are in very small electronic stuff, um, but they're really not that common. I mean, I was just thinking it'd be really useful if you have, like, a... Like when you go camping or something, you can stick a couple rolls in the, in the back of a truck, and you now you can yeah, have power. That's usually where you see them, is kind of like in the camping community, um, where people where it's just like uh, having it on a backpack or something like that, like wearable solar clothing. <laughs> yes. But as far as like actual like powering big loads, you, you wouldn't see those being used for that under normal circumstances. Right. How how inefficient are they? Are they like twenty percent, fifty percent? Oh boy! So normal solar panels, like what we're installing, the monocrystalline and polycrystalline, they are, I think they're about like eighteen percent, if I'm not mistaken, on the high end. Um, but the eighteen percent efficiency from like when the sun hits them, how much of it? Yeah, under standard test conditions, correct. Um, but like the Flexible ones are a lot lower. I think they're closer to like 10%, but don't quote me on that. I don't have the specs in front of me on, on those. Okay. <laughs> right. So that's, that's, that's a significant drop. Yeah, yes, for sure. <laughs> but also significantly more expensive as well. Right. So, so more so the money, cost, less power. The cost per watt is much higher. Exactly. And so uh, do you have you written up the like a, a tutorial for the benchtop power supply anywhere? Um, not yet. Anywhere people can go? Not yet, but uh, I have documented my evolution from the very first one to the, the standard model I have now. Um, I'm going to be actually teaching classes here uh, in Ohio for DIY electronics, and this is one of the first projects that I'm going to have students be building. That's, that's so great. Good for you, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And I'm hoping I'll, I'm going to, I got a good camera, so I'm going to record building these, and I'm going to hopefully start a YouTube channel and put how a tutorial on there on how to build these as well, with links to all the components I got from Amazon or whatever online source I got them from. Yeah, 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 keep us updated. For sure. So I know that's kind of one of the big things a lot of people, a lot of DIYers have in getting into something that they find intimidating is you see them build this project, but then they don't really tell you what components they used or where they found them. So it's kind of a daunting task if you don't really know a whole lot about it, how to even get right. started building the thing. So I think that's important right. to be able to show this is where I source my parts. This is what you're going to expect. Uh, and just having a whole list just to make it easy for people that are wanting to get into it on an intro basis, to be able to get into it really easily. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there are a few things quite as frustrating as seeing some really amazing project and then, the, the, like, them describing how to do it or their documentation is just lacking. So then it's like, well, okay, I can either spend hours and hours reverse engineering or, you know, move on to something else. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, are you th- so I guess you don't have a YouTube channel. So, they're 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 uh, until that that's put up, you don't really have any way of people can uh, Twitter or Instagram. 
uh, just join the j janky DIY Discord and you'll find me on there and <laughs> update some of my projects and you can ask me questions on there just, for right now just until I can don't get that. Ask, just don't ask him to uh, write Fortnite hacks for free. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, we had a, someone come in here last night requesting people to do requesting someone to basically do developer to do free work for him to hack a game and it's like this is not the <laughs> place for so that <laughs> so wrong on so many levels it's pro probably just a misguided youth who that you know is just uh working through some things in life you know right right <laughs> all right um probably taking up enough people's time um anyways i Glad you guys could, uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, thanks for being on the show, Glavin. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a joy. Learned, learned a lot. Uh, and, uh, Janky the Max!